So, if, if I've never met you or if you're, you're new here, uh, I'm Nick Mayo. I, I run our discipleship program and uh, get to lead with our discipleship students. It's absolutely incredible. I get to also oversee our, our churchwide internship program, and it's, a, it's an absolute blast. And if you've heard me speak before, you know that my heart is very, very much in discipleship and talking through the idea of what does discipleship in somebody's life actually look like? I've recently been trying to move away, not necessarily entirely, but just because of the, the aspect of discipleship tends to have kind of preconceived notions to it. Some people think, oh, discipleship, that's for the super Christians. Uh, and, and really, it, that's not it at all. So what I've been using a little bit more in my language is this aspect of what's called spiritual formation. Sp say, it's spiritual? spiritual? Formation. We see this, this concept all throughout scripture. So we see it in the, the idea of informing, right? Romans 10 tells us, how are people supposed to hear unless we send people to tell them? To go out and inform somebody, information, right? If, if we start tearing these words apart, we start to see that formation runs all throughout scripture. There's also conformation. So Romans 8 says, be conformed into the image of Christ, and then there's transformation, which one of my, my favorite scriptures is uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, where it talks about how in our worshiping Christ, in the glory of God, we're actually being transformed into his image and likeness. So we could see this idea of formation, information, conformation, transformation, all throughout the thread of scripture, especially New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Paul and Peter and, and just all throughout, we start to see the spiritual formation. And I, I like it a little bit better because it's something that we typically don't use the terminology within our sphere of Christianity. So hopefully it'll start to paint a little bit of a better picture of what discipleship is because every single Christian has a journey of discipleship ahead of them. Another way of saying that is every single Christian has a journey of spiritual formation ahead of them. But it's also not just for Christians. Everybody out in the world is getting a spiritual formation. I like the way that Dallas Willard says it. He says, everyone gets a spiritual formation. It's like education. Everyone gets an education. It's just a matter of which one do you get. We're all being formed spiritually by something. Hopefully, we're being formed spiritually by the word of God, by sound teaching, by good mentorship, and by walking alongside the Holy Spirit. But there are so many other things in life that are trying to form us into what it wants us to be, and that it can be a bunch of different things, and we're going to talk about that tonight. So tonight's message and most of my messages that I bring are, are kind of like, how many of you guys like beef jerky? Yes. yes. Have you ever had, like, I had this happen in the past, and it's a weird, but it, just run with me here. I had in the past where somebody had beef jerky, and they go, hey, you want a piece? And then by the time they got done handing it out, I had the little piece of beef jerky, and I went back for more, and it was gone. So then I went out to the store and bought beef jerky. What I'm saying is, hopefully what I hand to you tonight gives you enough taste where you're going to go and search this out on your own and go back to the store to buy your own beef jerky and start running this thing down throughout your life to see what it's going to do in transforming your life, okay? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for today. Got to thank you for every single soul that's in here tonight, God, everyone that, that came in to join us tonight. God, we thank you for what you've done in our midst in worship. God, we thank you for your unceasing grace that's constantly at work in our life. Father, we thank you for the transformed life. And Father, I pray that you would anoint these words. God, that anything that's not of you would just fall aside, that no one would walk away with anything except for your heartbeat for them. So Father, we say, have your way. Have your way. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to kick us off with kind of a, a key scripture here, and then I'm gonna, we're going to kind of jump to the side of the scripture, and I'm going to give you one of the different devices that is crucial within our, our formation journey. Romans 12, 2, I'm going to read out of the NIV here, says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So once again, now hopefully you're seeing it. How many formations do we see here? That is an interactive question. Two. Thank you. Jared, you got me. <laughs> Notice the difference here between the formations. What's the first formation? Who's forming us? I'm going to wait until everybody jumps in. This is a participatory. The world. The world. Who's the second that transforms us? Jesus, the word of God. It doesn't necessarily say, but we can assume being the context that it's, it's talking here about Jesus transforming our mind. So do not be conformed to the, NIV says, to the pattern of this world. Other translations say, do not be conformed to this age. Other people say, do not be conformed to the world. What it's saying here is the systems of the world, the ideas of the world, do not allow those to form you, but instead be formed, transformed by the renewing of your mind, because we're then give, given the mind of Christ, right? This is the discipleship journey of growing into knowing the heartbeat of God. So it's saying, do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the gospel, by Jesus, by the word, by all these different things. And it's important for us to realize here that there's two different aspects, and there's actually, I would say, a little bit more than two different aspects, but two in this scripture that's talking about trying to form our lives, trying to disciple our lives, trying to walk us through a spiritual formation. Tonight, I really want to uh, focus in on one of the biggest tools of that formation, really talk about stories and narratives. Say stories. In the, the title of the message tonight is Stories Conform Us. Say that with me. Stories Conform Us. We're going to say that a couple times throughout. One of the largest tools of transformation is stories and, and narratives. We see this in the picture of Jesus. When he comes to teach, how many of you guys recognize he taught in stories all the time? He spoke in parables. He says things like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then builds out a beautiful word picture that baffles our minds. <laughs> and he says to, to them, he goes, you being a, a good or you being a, a evil father or just an earthly father, how would you 
You wouldn't give your son a rock if he asked you for a loaf of bread. So how much better is the perfect and good father going to give you the Holy Spirit, right? And he's, he's building these pictures, and it's all these pictures and these stories all throughout Scripture. And there's, there's multiple people that will tell us stories in our lives. First is the devil. Well, first is God. If we really go through Scripture, we see first is God. And then the devil comes into the garden and starts twisting the story that God had given Adam and Eve and starts telling them and spinning and intertwining a, a new story for them to buy into. And when they bought into the new story, he was able to grab their heart and get their decision. And then the world will tell us stories. The world's constantly trying to barrage us with stories, and we're really going to focus on this point today because it's one of the easiest ones to, to start to recognize and start to train our discerner, if we could say it that way, to train our discerner to start recognizing the stories that are being sold to us that are trying to form our lives. We ourselves can tell ourselves stories. It's called worry. It's called doubt. It's called sitting there and festering on things that, right? How many of you guys have caught yourself? And I, we've all done this. How many of you guys have caught yourself in, in just running through a story that is in the future and, and then it ends up not even running that way? But you're just, you're forming yourself through these stories that you're telling yourself because of fear and all these different aspects. And then, like I said, God wants to tell us the most amazing story on the face of the planet. And we are going to end up at that place today. Who doesn't come alive and leap to attention at the telling of a good story? Picture the child at the edge of their bed, mesmerized by the adventuresome bedtime story their father is unraveling before them before their night's rest. Or all the movie theater lines trailing out the door with eager individuals just waiting to give their time and money for the latest Marvel movie to hit the big screen. <laughs> Stories do something to our soul. They awaken us. They revive us and they enthrall our hearts. Peg Newhauser says, Stories are the most powerful form of human communication. And I actually believe that to be true. Perhaps most importantly, stories do much to paint the longings of our life. Every relatable story tells something about humanity and about the human condition. When we tell of a good story, we tell of a story that we have identified with and thus placed ourselves in. The movies that we see that we run away and we tell everybody about is the, the movies that we have grabbed onto the story and we have actually stepped into it in a certain way. And those things do much to, to paint the longings of our life. We enter into stories. We take their narratives on as our own, mostly in the ways of longings and deep desires. Maybe better said, stories enter into us. They begin to paint the target for us, directing us towards an ultimate goal. Say, stories can form us. Growing up, I've seen this to, in action in the nth degree. My, my whole life changed the moment I seen the 2001 blockbuster hit, Fast and the Furious. Hmm. At the formative age of 14, my scrawny teenage frame was being pulled into the plotline of rebellious adventure 
with furious action and fast cars. The story had enraptured me. It became all I thought about. I could quote the entire movie by the end of the year. I've forgotten most of it, but I still remember some of it. How many guys are, are Fast and the Furious fans in here? How many guys like remember the original? Like, when I ask that now, there's been like 27 of them, so you're like, oh yeah, I love the new ones, which I've never seen, and they don't even look like anything of the original ones. But I still remember like just going through, and I would, I would literally, I, I, one time I'd ripped the, the audio and put it on a, a CD, so I could just listen to it on like long car rides. I already had the movie in my mind. I could play it in my mind. I just wanted to listen through it, right? I'm something serious. Paul Walker, dude, I almost had you. Vin Diesel, you almost had me? You never had me. You never had your car. Granny shifting, not double clutching like you should. You're lucky that 100 shot of NOS didn't blow the welds on the intake manifold. Now me and the mad scientist got to rip apart the block and replace the piston ring as you fried. I still got a little bit of it. <laughs> Preach. Thanks. All the rest, I'm trying to get crowd interaction. You guys are like, stories can form us. I start quoting Fast and the Furious, we go into uproar. <laughs> stories can form us. <laughs> when, I was, when I was younger, I had a DVD player that you could set like the A and B points. You guys know what I'm talking about? And you can just loop like the movie. So I set the A point at the beginning of the movie and the B point right at the beginning of the credits. And then 24-7, the movie was just always playing. So when I turned on the TV in my room, it was just somewhere in the movie and I could dive right back into the storyline. I burnt a hole through one of the DVDs, had to spend $17.99 on another one, and then I burnt out one of my DVD players. All for the love of the movie. Yeah, I was intense. I'm... It's kind of a hyper story, but I'm not making any of it up. It's, it's actually my life. As I stepped into my first official job the following year, I had already determined where my money would go. I had a working list of vehicles that I longed for and an even greater list of high-performance parts that I would swap out under the hood. I had my goal in mind. And everything I did in the coming years was in pursuit of grabbing hold of the prize. My studies in high school moved toward small engines, and then I eventually went to a, a tech school for automotive. In the meantime, more renditions of the story had since hit the theaters. The narrative had expanded, and so my goal intensified. Actually, I got some pictures of my, put up the first one at the two car. Yes, I was, a, I was a big RX-7 guy. I couldn't afford the one in the movie, right, the third generation, so I had the second generation. All of them were 1987, which was the year I was born. And, and you guys are like, dang, this guy's old. So uh, the, I actually had three. There, there's one before these, and then I had the gold one. And I've told stories about that one in the past, and a buddy of mine bought an exact same color one, and I was like, dude, come on, have a little bit of originality. And then I got rid of that one and ended up with the, the next one. The, the headlights, they go up, and in Japan they would do that, and they call it like sleepy eye. It's all sorts of, this is my life back then, okay? And then I put the Japanese license. I love that our fog machine is still going because this makes it look very epic. <laughs> Add the Japanese license plate on the front, so then you knew it was like awesome. <laughs> or at least I thought. <laughs> go into the next one. Yeah, I, I was a big drifter, so this is a, a, a photo of me sideways. 
Kind of looks like I'm driving Miata. That's one of the RX-7s. Uh, and then the next one, this is, I went down to what's called Deals Gap. It's down in, uh, in Tennessee. It's 318 curves and 11 miles right on the edge of the mountains. My buddy and I went down there in my RX-7 just to blow through those corners. And my buddy almost drove us off the mountain. I'm not even lying. I literally didn't speak to him for the rest of the ride home. <laughs> It was the most awkward 13 to 14 hour drive home. <laughs> Plus, I had like ripped all the sound deadener and everything out of the inside because, you know, it's a race car. So like all the engine heat was coming in. So we're just like sweaty, hot, miserable, and I'm just pissed at them. So it was a real thing. <laughs> By this point, I was living out part of the dream, driving at excessive speeds meeting up with others who had caught the vision as we raced down the dark and hopefully back, hidden back streets of the city. Laws were more of a suggestion to us, and thus we became quite familiar with the local authorities. Speeding tickets were a badge of honor, and even better yet was outrunning the 5-0 was cause for great admiration. I was no longer watching the story, I was now living it, and boy did it feel like life. And then fast forward, Nine years to a frigid October evening, and the cold steel is cutting into my wrists as I'm cramped into the caged backseat of an unmarked SUV. Red and blue lights are illuminating the reality of my surroundings, piercing into my own storyline as the narrative I had bought into so many years before was paying out its wages. I don't have time to... to build that whole picture of giving you what that nine years looks like. But I hope the point you guys are seeing is how instrumental the stories we give residents in our heart are in forming our lives. In 2001, I allowed a story to come into my heart that then shaped the direction that I would go, that formed my life from that moment forward. And then I've had multiple other different instances like that. I was a magician for years. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Chris Angel and David Blaine. <laughs> Not like weird magic, but like cards and, you know, the geeky, nerdy stuff. <laughs> that one didn't get any, any laughs. They're like, sorry, you're a nerd, dude. <laughs> the narrative of life that we think through is a very important aspect in the formation of our life. In fact, the narratives are much like tinted lenses we look through to perceive reality. They determine our aim, focus our attention. Stories not only inform us, but they do much to transform our lives. Say, stories can form us. I, I was in the advertising business for a long time, and not necessarily the advertising business, it was like sales and advertising. I was a sales rep, then I became a district manager, then I became like my own, like I did web and graphics and all these different things. And all, all throughout this, these years, I was, I was learning how to equip and teach people how to make sales and how to sell things through advertisement and face-to-face -face sales. And one of the biggest things that I would equip my, my sales reps with was understanding that if you can sell to somebody's emotion, and if you could paint a picture that they'll buy into, they'll buy into the product after that. 
You're almost going in. You're not even selling the product. You're selling the lifestyle, the different stories around the product. And if I could get you to buy into that, then you'll buy into my product. And actually, if we look through all of advertising, you'll start to see that. And, and advertisers actually get the human soul sometimes a little bit more than church folk. Because they know if I can tell you a story that grabs your heart, then I can get your pocketbook. I can get your decisions. I can get your attention. I can put it where I want it. And it's, it, it can be misused and unfortunate. It could be other things. that It could be used in a healthy way. But advertisers get this sometimes better than we do. In 2007, Apple introduced a product that would quite literally reform our culture. They didn't put it up. Oh, nope, they did. All right, I was going to ask you what you thought it was, but it's the iPhone. <laughs> Steve Jobs, if you go back and look at the original, this is at the, the Mac World, where they're, this is 2007, so you got the, the, you know, the old, old, old school one, right? You guys remember that? Anybody ever have that one with the, the silver around it? Yeah, a couple people in here. And, and when Apple brought out the iPhone, they actually reformed the entire way that we think about phones. And, and if you go back and look, let's not go to this one yet. Um, if we go back and look, if you go back and watch the actual like, video of Steve Jobs coming out and presenting the new iPhone, he could have gone out there, and some people would think this as a sales presentation. You go out there, and I'm going to tell you all the specs. I'm going to tell you how big it is. I'm going to tell you how big the screen is. And some people try and go that route. But Steve Jobs is brilliant. He didn't go out to tell you the specs. He actually went out to paint a picture of what life will look like when you have this device in your pocket. And if we think of all the different things that Apple, who, again, is brilliant in this capacity of selling stories and getting us to buy into their things, all of, of the modern-day conveniences that we, we have on our phones can actually mostly be linked back to Apple. MP3s, originally made by Apple. The iPhone was the first phone to actually produce apps that could be outsourced, that can actually operate in the operating system. They're the first ones to actually offer a phone that had an operating system, and they, they were really revolutionary with their device, so it made sense for them to bring it out and sell us on it. But at the same time, so many of us have bought into the story of this so much so that we actually elevate our need for being in this story more than other people's lives. Both in the way of the group of, of young guys that I've seen at a restaurant the other day to where all three of them were sitting around a table. None of them were talking to each other. They were just in this for about 30, 40 minutes. And then also in the other way of uh, yesterday morning, Emily can attest, she was driving behind me. I nearly got hit head on because somebody was on their phone coming through an intersection and wasn't paying attention, didn't care about the lives because they had bought so much into the story of how this is going to enrich their lives that they've allowed it to form them in a way that they would make that decision naturally. And this is just one example, one of the assignments that I want to send you out with, if you guys will allow. What's the um, mission impossible? Your assignment, if you shall choose to accept. <laughs> the assignment is to go out into public 
And as you start to see advertisements, pause, especially the ones that make you click through and buy. Pause and ask, what story are they trying to sell me right now? Chances are they're trying to picture the good life. They're trying to picture the abundant life. They're trying to picture beauty. They're trying to sell you on what they want you to buy into on all these different aspects. And if you could start training yourself to notice the story that they're selling you and to see the picture that they're trying to paint, you can actually stop it before it starts to form your, your heart. And in doing that, it actually trains you to start to picture and to start to pick out some of the lies that you might be telling yourself, some of the lies and the different stories that the devil's trying to sell you. Just because as soon as you get out of here, if you guys drive past a billboard, you'll start to see more stories. As soon as you jump back on this device, you'll start to see more stories. So the homework to send you out is to start looking at those advertisements and start picking them apart. And before you just move on past it, take time to, you know, you're scrolling on Instagram anyway, so slow down on the advertisement and sit there and think, what's the story that they're trying to sell me? And here's a hint. It's not typically the first one that you think. Apple isn't trying to sell you the story of their iPhone. They're trying to sell you the story of an easy life. We can go to that next slide now. This is literally an Apple advertisement. Life is easier on iPhone. And they're, they're picturing and they're painting and they're selling us the story that your life will be easier on the iPhone. But then the caveat is, and that starts as soon as you turn it on. Well, I want my life to be easier. I need to have an iPhone in order to be able to turn it on. I need an eye. It's not necessarily as simple as that, but this is one of the most blatant, like Apple's not even ashamed that they're trying to sell you on stories. But the issue is, is, is the easy life isn't necessarily the life that we're looking for, right? You guys following me? Do you see where stories can form us? Say stories can form us. I like bringing up the aspect of the things that we invest money into, right? If I drop this from here, some of you guys, if I drop it from, no, I won't do that. I'm a good steward of my resources. But some of us start jumping because we know how much these devices are, right? We know how much are invested into those things, and we've, we've bought into these stories. And, and I, I like taking an aspect from here to kind of give a broader picture. Like I said, this is going to apply to a lot of other areas. We're honing in on one to give you new lenses to be able to see the others. But Matthew 6, 21 through 24, if we think through this lens of the stories that form us, Jesus is talking here. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. I would propose that we never put resources anywhere that we haven't first bought into a story. You guys ever watch Shark Tank? 
Those guys don't start just handing out like Oprah money or anything like, you get money, you get money, you get money. They're waiting for a story that they can buy into. And then their resources go into that, and then they're emotionally and heart-wise connected to that company. They want to see it succeed because they have bought into it, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I do think that this, there's a lot of different translations on, on what Christ is talking about here. But I, I recently in thinking through this lens of stories and the multitude of stories that have been selling to us and are constantly barraging us and hitting us and pummeling us, I, I think that we could think through this lens when we read Christ's words here. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light within you, sorry, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And he's, he's saying specifically in this context to the, the money aspect, the spirit of mammon, but at the same time, it, it goes across the board. We can't serve two masters. It's not just the spirit of mammon. It's the spirit of success, of any of the, the other things that are sold to us. But what I specifically want to look at is going that Jesus says, if your eye is singular, the King James, I should have put it in my notes, it says, if thine eye is single, and it's talking about having a single vision. If your eye is singularly pointed and directed at the life of God, at the life of Christ, at Scripture, then the inside will be filled with light because you can't serve two masters, you can't buy into two stories. Does this make sense? I also think that this is partly what uh, James, and I believe Peter also brings it up, talks about as far as the double-mindedness. Right? When we have so many different stories coming into our life, trying to sell us these things, and as we're buying into them, if I buy into so many different stories, no wonder our world has so much anxiety going on because we are buying into so many of the stories that are being sold to us, trying to paint all sorts of different pictures of what the ultimate goal is, and then we're constantly having issues of doing the things that we see Christ telling us to do, calling us to do, the life that he's calling us into because we're constantly in this dualistic battle between the stories we're buying into and the story he's trying to sell us. It'd be like going through, there's a, a bunch of different screens in here, and if I were to put a different movie on every screen, and we would just have all of these different movies playing in here, and I were to say, sit down and enjoy the movie, and then I were to walk away, you would hear the words from all the other movies. You'd see the sensory overload from all the other movies. And you would be in such an anxious state because you're trying to be sold so many different stories. If the eye is singular and we are not double-minded, say stories conform us. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here it is. We find the opening sequence to the greatest story ever told. 
It's so much bigger than having been told. It is being told and will be told for the rest of eternity. And yet we still fall short of the magnitude here. Because it's not simply a story to be told, but it's one to be lived, to be stepped into, and even more so stepping into us. It was in motion before us and will truly be the only one to continue ever after. This story is too expansive to be captured on the big screen, yet humble enough to invite us into its pages. Just shortly after Genesis 1-1, we get Genesis 1-27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He put the, think of this. I, I was having a conversation with, actually, Luke Gansevoort, if he's in here. Um, I, I was sitting down for lunch with Luke, and we were just kind of talking through some of this I, idea. And I was just thinking through the aspect of the, the very fact that God created time and space meant that he was putting in motion a story. When I give you a point A to a point B, anything that happens within that is a story, is in story form. And God created a story for us to be created in it, for us to experience, but then also partner with. (laughs) How humbling is that? How beautiful is that? Literally the author and creator The beginning and the end. God himself created a story for us to be involved with. Let's say this again. The story is too expansive to be captured on the big screen, yet humble enough to invite us into its pages. It's packed with romance, adventure, action, grief, humor. It's the epic of all epics. Marvel heroes pale in comparison to the many characters laid forth in the pages of this ultimate chronicle. Morgan Freeman's narration could add nothing to the splendor or majesty on display here. In the true light of this drama, all other stories are but a mere imitation. Dimly lit reflections grasping in the wrong direction, trying to make sense of a plot line higher than our understandings. It's not even a story to be understood. It's a story to be experienced. When we realize the importance of narrative in storytelling, I truly believe we get a revitalized image of what Scripture has to offer. It's not simply the Word of God as if it were, uh, if, if its main purpose were to be the Christian encyclopedia to search out our answers. Although, this is infallible, this is God-breathed, and we can find the answer to so much of life's questions, to the life question in here. I'm not downplaying that. But it's also a story that we're invited into, from page one to page... (laughs) Hold on. 246. And then also the the abbreviations for the books after that. You could jump into that part too. (laughs) 246. Yes. It's a condensed Bible. Some have more. That's a good story to jump into. It's a story that we are invited to jump into. Since the beginning, God was weaving a story that is greater than us all, 
yet involves each one of us. And most humbling is that he has involved us in a sort of co-authorship to parts of it. We have been invited to not only step into the story, but also to participate in the narrative. Say, stories can form us. The issue is we are inundated with stories all day long. Conflicting stories aimed at capturing the heart. And I firmly believe, once again, I said this earlier, that this is the source of so much anxiety in our world. If we aren't mindful and intentional with the stories we put before us, we can be easy to buy into the narratives we think bring life only to find out later that it pays out death. Remember back to my Fast and the Furious story. I felt like I was living life, but later I found out that the wages were arrest, loss of privilege to drive, etc. Sound a little familiar? The wages of sin is death. So I want to jump back to this scripture, and then I'm going to finish off with a, a couple key things here. So we started off with Romans 12, 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God, God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love how the message says this. So Romans 12, 2, and we'll just do the first part of the verse. It says, don't become so, excuse me, well-adjusted. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. So many of us have been buying into stories because we've been fitting in without even thinking. But now, hopefully, a light bulb has gone off and we could start looking at the stories that are being sold to us and we could start stopping them before they start affecting our heart and forming our life. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. David tells us, the psalm writer, the king, tells us in, in Psalm 16, he says, I have set the Lord before me always. I've set the Lord always before me. He said, the world is trying to, I'm paraphrasing, I'm adding in kind of the context here, but he says, the world is trying to sell me so many stories, but I have made it my one sole duty to set the story of the Lord before me. Kind of sounds like Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. All the things that the earth is trying to sell you, that the devil is trying to sell you, that your flesh is trying to sell you, all these stories that are trying to paint the desires of your heart, God says, don't worry about those things. Like we were talking about earlier, if he cares so much about the birds in the grass of the field, he cares that much more about you. Those things will come. Set the story of the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of heaven before you. Thank you. Is this, is this translating? I, I don't know if this is too simple. It, it's, it's really just reframing a lot of the stuff that we've been teaching. Last month, and I, I didn't really build a picture of what the story is, but last month we went through a series on the gospel. That's a good place to start. If you're new here, go back and check that series out. The, the month before that, we went through a series on prayer of constantly being before the Lord to allow him to form us, to shape us, and to tell us the beauties of his great mysteries. 
This is, is really just giving a, a maybe a hopefully better container of understanding why it's so important to get into the Word every single day, not just because that's what you do as a good Christian. That's not a good enough reason. It's because getting into this, we get to see the beauty of the greatest story ever told. We get to step into the narrative that's happening here and we start to see our life formed to be able to partner with God like Adam and Eve, cool in the day, hand in hand, walking through the Garden of Eden with God. They were participating in the narrative. So what do we do in order to step in and keep the story of God before us? Three things I'll put up on the screen. Scripture reveals the story. This is why it's so crucial. We're going to continue to point you towards this, to send you into this, to get to know the pages, to get to know more than the pages, the people and the story and your life that's written on the pages. Did you know that you're written in here? You could find yourself in here by finding Christ, and he revealed to you the image and nature that they placed into you, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the very beginning. Prayer and worship align us with the story. When I get into to prayer and I bring my heart vulnerably before the Lord, he can start to do work on me and start to make me more congruent with the storyline that he's telling. When I get into worship, do you guys actually know that, that hymns and a lot of classic, classic worship songs, yes, they're great worship songs that we lift up to the Lord, but one of the main purposes of hymns was actually to keep the story of the Lord before the people. That when we sing it, this is the beautiful thing about songs, is their story that we sing. It's keeping the story and the narrative of God on our lips and in our heart. Songs do something, poetry does something that is just absolutely incredible inside our heart. It's also why we need to be weary of the songs that we allow to come off of our lips. What you think is just a simple song that you're listening to that I used to like is actually doing much to form your life, to paint the desires of your life because you're singing and buying into a story. And then the last part here is obedience participates in the story. Scripture reveals the story. Prayer and worship align us with the story. Obedience participates with the story. There's a lot of other things that we could bring in here. I'd say spiritual practices like fasting and taking communion together and all these different aspects bring us right back into the storyline that we need to understand is a beautiful, beautiful thing that's so much larger than us. That's part of the thing that the world is selling us a story that makes it all about us. But then when we come to here, we find out that it's not a story about us. It's a story that includes us us, and it actually includes a much larger body that we get to participate with. Saints from history old have been participating in this story, and we get to step into its pages and help write the next sentence. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the story that you have put before us. Father, we just sit here and we humbly consider the fact that you 
God of all would invite us to participate in this magnificent story, the only true story, the only beautiful story. It's a love story that you have been writing from the beginning of time and you will continue to write for us, in us, and through us for the rest of eternity. And Father, let us put your story, like David says in Psalm 16, let us put you before us all the days of our life. Let us gaze on you. Let us seek first your kingdom and pursue you above all else. Let us be mindful of the stories that are being sold to us out in the world by the enemy, by ourselves, by our past. And let us put those stories aside to receive your truth and your kingdom, Father. We thank you for forming us into your image and likeness, restoring us back into our original intent. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a couple things that I want to share real quick before uh, I close out, and I'll send this off. Um, One thing is, again, next week, Dan Seaborn is going to be here with us. We're extremely, extremely excited for that. Absolutely, if you've ever heard Dan, he's one of the most vulnerable preachers on the face of this planet, and he always connects with the heart. And notice, he always speaks in story too, probably why he connects with our heart. Uh, So please, please, please do not miss that. You're going to want to bring some friends. He's going to preach. I I don't know what he's teaching on, but it's, it's always fire. And, uh, and I know that it will not only bless you, but those that you invite as well. Another thing that I want to bring up, if, if this kind of thing, if these teachings, if you're, you're going through life and you're going, man, I, I want to know more of this. I want to step further into this journey. This whole aspect of discipleship and spiritual formation, all of this is new to me. We have our discipleship program. Like I said, I I get to run that. We invite so many different guest speakers in. We have our pastoral staff partner with you. If, if this is something that's igniting in you, much of the program is designed to help us target those stories that are being sold to us and grab hold of the great story of the Lord that he's writing on our hearts. So uh, please do check that out. You can go to the website, reslife.org slash disciples, not discipleship. They won't give us that link. But disciples, reslife.org slash disciples, you get more info over there. You can check out with me. You can ask me questions about it. Or Melanie, if you stand up in the back and wave. Is Melanie my assistant? Yes. Say hello to Melanie. Uh, You can ask either of us more questions, but we hope that you would consider that. It's a great next step for anybody who's just, you feel stuck in life. This is, it's a big breakthrough moment. We've heard testimony after testimony after testimony to where not only are our discipleship students transformed, but their families are really being impacted, their friends groups are really, the world's being impacted through this.